Thank you for listening to the Weekly Market Outlook. It is our pleasure to bring an industry-leading market analyst to provide you with the most value possible in your farm business. Please reach out anytime by emailing cbaron at agviewsolutions.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the AgView Pitch. And we are heading into a new week, actually the first week of May. And we have Joe Vaklovic with us. Joe, how's it going? I'm doing great, Chris. How are you? Uh, hanging in there. Um, I wish I was planting instead of talking to you with all due respect, I guess. Um, we're sitting here in our neck of the woods in northeast Iowa, pretty, uh, pretty wet. Uh, we were dry early in the season and super cold. We haven't got rid of the cold, but we got the wet now, too, so... Cold and wet doesn't match too good for planting. Hearing a lot of that from a lot of places. Some areas are getting a little bit done. And uh, then you go out west, and those guys are still in a dust bowl. So what's your thoughts on U.S. weather and conditions going into planting or in planting season here? Well, I guess I'd probably tend to separate it uh, into, like, two different categories. Um, like, what does it mean for farming? Well, for farming, it sucks, right? Uh, what does it mean for the market? I'm not necessarily sure that it's the biggest deal in the world at this point here in time. Um, we're recording here, what, last day in April or whatever. Um, I mean, I'm not going to say that it's like a bearish factor, but I'm not going to say it's a super bullish factor at this point either. I mean, I've, I've said this before. No, nobody ever knows why a big fund buyer or whoever is pushing the buy button. Maybe it is because there's planting delays, but uh, historically the market doesn't start to care about this sort of thing until, you know, another couple of weeks down the road, you know, mid May is when uh, planting delays really start to matter uh, in terms of the market. And I don't know if we're there yet, but again, I, I can't say with any degree of certainty that it's, it's not the, that it's not the reason that somebody's buying the market. It's just not, like generally speaking, at, at the end of April or first day of May, it's, it's it's not generally like a big cause for concern in regard to the markets. It is for farmers. I mean, everybody's nervous and, and would like to be more active and, and get the crops in the ground. But it's, in terms of the markets, it's usually not the biggest deal in the world this early. Mm-hmm. You, um, you have your subscriber-only videos. And for anybody listening here, if you're not subscribed, I would check in with Joe because – um, Joe, you do a great job with the subscriber-only videos and, and your daily videos on YouTube, but you had something on there yesterday. Um, can you touch on that a little bit? You were talking a little bit more in detail on, on the planning delays and some of the things you were seeing there. Um, I went through some studies that um, I actually pulled off the, uh, the FarmDoc website, which is University of Illinois, and they've got some really great data in regard to, you know, planting date and ultimate impact on yield. And, you know, they, they defined, I believe in that article, and don't quote me, but I think they defined late corn planting uh, in Illinois, generally speaking, which is, is going to be different geographically for everybody. But as anything beyond like May 20th, I think. So you're still not like to the point where, you know, if corn gets planted even a week or 10 days from now, uh, you're not really to a point where there's going to be like widespread yield drag. And, and I'm not an agronomist or anything, but I can look at those charts uh, that they had out. Um, what I tried to do in, in the video is is kind of paint a few different scenarios in regard to uh, uh, corn yields and uh, 
the balance sheets and what it means for prices. You know, what this is a, a long conversation, but with the markets trading right now, Chris, the, the corn market, just let's put the corn market in a vacuum. The corn market is not trading anything that USDA has printed on paper to mm-hmm. this point. Right. What the market is trading is the 22-23 balance sheet, uh, and we haven't seen that yet. USDA doesn't give us our first even glimpse of that until I think that next report is May 12th is when we see it. But there's so many unknowns when it comes to that balance sheet. I mean, first off, you've got your normal stuff, like just general U.S. crop production, right? Uh, when I talked about the yields and late planting, I went back and I said, okay, what if this turns into 2019? And in 2019, we had, you know, historically late corn planting. And I think corn yields were like 4 or 5% below trend that year. So if you're, if you're 5% below trend in yield this year, that say your trend's 180, that takes you down to 171 um, in terms of the national yield. That puts you in an incredibly tight situation uh, based on the balance sheets that I had. I mean, an incredibly, incredibly tight situation. But that's assuming a lot of things. I mean, it's assuming mm-hmm. that demand holds together. Um, it's assuming um, that this inflationary aspect or this, this large money, uh, they still want to be involved. Um, but, you know, when I went through those balance sheets and you saw the video, it, it's, tough, it's like really tough to paint a, a bearish scenario. Right. Um, I also went through and I adjusted some of the acreage numbers. I personally believe we're going to see a little bit of an increase in corn acreage versus uh, March intentions. I could be wrong about that, of course. But um, uh, basically what, what I tried to do was like lay out a few different possibilities. Say, if this turns into 2019 and we do end up losing yield because of late planting, these are some of the price implications. I'm not on that page yet. I don't I think you got to go another couple of weeks and then we can start being a little bit more serious about that conversation. But um, I, I guess it was, it was worth it. We do in the experiment on paper. Yeah. It's interesting because when I look at our forecast here right now for, you know, a large piece of Iowa anyway, or pretty much all of Iowa, it looks like we got quite a few days here of not being able to plant just because we're not going to dry out. About the time we start getting dry, there is rain in the forecast. They can never predict, uh, weather very good in the spring and fall though so we'll see i guess and like you said we'll just have to see what happens there as far as you know you talked a little bit about um the acre mix too in in past conversations um and and you and i did that last weekend on youtube as well where we kind of talked about the corn versus soybeans a lot more money in corn um, I still don't think it's going to make sense for guys to switch out of corn either until we get to the end of May, even when you start looking at the, the coverage levels and the, and the revenue in corn versus soybeans, and this is going to spread out the, um, the nitrogen availability. It's not all going on. Everything's not all going on at exactly the same time like last year. I mean, we planted everything in a five-day window pretty much last year. Um, I know last year on the 29th of April, we were done planting corn and beans. And um, most of our clients were um, that early last year, and now this year is completely different. Any thoughts on the acre mix or any additional comments on that? Well, I think there's just a tremendous amount of uncertainty. I mean, I, I told you earlier, I think corn acres are going up, and you're telling me there's a possibility that corn acres go down if uh, the late planting uh, becomes like a real issue. So, I mean, that uncertainty in itself is, is a supportive and probably friendly factor in regard to corn prices. Mm-hmm. I mean, just n- nobody has a clue. And when nobody has a clue, I think the path of least resistance is for the market to move higher 
at this time of year. And that's, that's probably more exaggerated or amplified this year because, you know, you've got Ukraine, you've got inflation, you've got all these issues. But I mean, in any given year, there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty regarding the crop in April into May or June. And I, I think not coincidentally, that's why in many years you'll post your, your highs for the year in May or June, you know, on some mm-hmm. sort of uh, weather issue or crop scare event or whatever. Uh, it's when that uncertainty is the highest uh, that a lot of times your, your best pricing opportunities will emerge. And yeah, I understand that the corn market goes higher every single day and feels like it has for months <laughs> now, but um, there, there, there will be a point I would imagine where, where the market, you know, peaks out or levels off or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm not necessarily saying the corn acres will go down. What I'm saying is I think guys should keep the corn planters rolling. That's where the money's yeah. going to be this year. Um, yeah, for sure. And, and in regards to markets, again, just the, the uncertainty regarding that situation in itself. I mean, that's just one level of uncertainty when you're talking like a balance sheet scenario. I mean, first off, we don't know what the corn acres are going to be exactly. I, I would almost guarantee that they're different than that uh, March intentions number. And then, of course, the yield thing is, is always a huge toss up. And then, I mean, you've got the whole uh, demand uh, ball of wax that, that, that just is, is totally uncertain when you look at Ukraine and, and some of the other things going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So the other thing you had kind of mentioned in the earlier conversation we were hitting on weather, you talked about demand on corn and soybeans, touch on demand. What are you hearing? What do you see? Well, it's good. And um, it's impressive that you've still got good demand for corn and soybeans, despite prices that are essentially at or very close to all-time highs. Um, I was looking at some of the export sales data. Uh, New crop sales of corn and soybeans are the best on record for this time of year. And that's with corn. new crop corn at seven and a half bucks, new crop beans at 15. So global buyers are are booking uh, record amounts of corn for new crop delivery, record amounts of soybeans for new crop delivery, um, we're at an even better pace than we were a couple of years ago when China started all that buying. And they started a little bit later in the year in, in May, I think, in uh, 2020. But uh, it's really impressive. And then you look at ethanol. I mean, it's not fantastic, but it's close enough to normal in terms of demand there. You look at the soybean crush, it's really good. So the uh, the products, your meal and oil, have kept up with beans in terms of prices, allowing for a good crush margin. So it's, it's very impressive to me that you haven't seen uh, demand really back off in any material way. And then the other thing that's impressive is basis. I mean, you look at, at corn basis around the country, both both spot and, and new crop corn basis are very good, I would say, considering the board prices. I mean, if you would have told me, you know, two years ago, corn seven and a half bucks, I would have said, oh, well, your basis is probably terrible then, right? No, that's not the case. I mean, it's, it's actually the opposite. Uh, it's, it's really, really impressive how demand uh, has held up despite these high prices because, you know, normally the market, the market's job in a scenario like this is to kind of deter demand, right? Reduce demand through higher prices. We haven't really done that to a, a material degree yet. Well, everything is higher, so it's kind of a margin thing, isn't it? Or what's your thought there? What's causing that? Um, yeah, I mean, that's part of it. I mean, I don't, I don't, again, it's, it's difficult to say why corn is at $8. Is it, is it because of um, Ukraine? I think that has a lot to do with it. Is it because of, of inflation? I mean, I think that has something to do with it. I think there's a lot of outside money uh, involved in the market. Is it because we've got dry weather in Brazil? Is it um, 
and there's so many different uh, uh, reasons. There's, there's not a whole lot of bearish things I can tell you about the corn market, but there's certainly a lot of positives. Mm-hmm. Well, you uh, that's a good segue into the funds then. So touch on that because, you know, why is corn eight bucks or whatever? Wouldn't a large part of that really be that, I mean, the money flow. And then the other thing I told you offline, I might hit you up on too, is does the stock market have anything to do with that? It's been under pressure where is money looking for a place and our commodities, maybe the best spot. Um, so large uh, money managers or funds have been kind of like a stagnant long in the corn market. Mm-hmm. They've been heavily long for a long time. They haven't really over, I mean, they're, they're historically like at an extreme, but they haven't gone to like new uh, records in terms of, of fund length. And I'm talking specifically about uh, large money managers. Uh, as CFTC puts it, but in any case, yeah, I mean, fund money and speculative buying has a lot to do with it. I think you've just got an absence of, of selling interest too. I don't know that the farmer is, is overly interested in, in selling right now. And I don't know if that's because they're already heavily sold when it comes to old crop or they're just waiting or whatever the reason is. There just doesn't seem to be a lot of, of like selling pressure from that natural seller who's a farmer, uh, in this instance. So it's, it's, yeah, I mean, spec money has something to do with it. And you talk about outside markets. I mean, a phenomenal amount of money has come out of not only the stock market, but the bond market. The uh, global bond market is, is off to its worst start, like on record. And the global bond market's worth like trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. I mean, it's bigger than the global stock market. So you've got money coming out of, of fixed income or, or bonds. And, and that goes for, not just like U.S. treasuries, but I mean corporate bonds. I mean it bonds, all sorts of debt, money, money coming out of these markets. Um, and I don't know where it's going. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's going to commodities. I mean, it's not. It's all going to the corn market. The corn market is so tiny uh, compared to you know global equities or, or global fixed income. I, I don't know where it's going. I don't think it would be smart necessarily to go to cash in an inflationary environment. So it's it's. I don't I don't know where it's going. It's a good it's a good question that I think a lot of people are kind of wrestling with right now. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, also, another factor supportive maybe is Brazil or anything there worthy of support? Yeah, Brazil had a rough uh, go at it during the month of April, and that's a very important time frame in regard to uh, that second corn crop in Brazil. You know, up until very recently, uh, most of the government entities and USDA still got a projection for a record Brazilian corn crop on their balance sheet. Um, Everything looks good, and then they turn dry in April, and the forecast, uh, as we sit here this morning, is not really offering much in terms of relief. Um, typically, May is like the month where that second corn crop in Brazil kind of reaches maturity. There's some there's some very early uh, corn harvest in May, and then most of it's like June or July. But that corn crop's not going to be as big as uh, what people thought it would be maybe a month or two ago. So that I think is, I mean, if I had to if I had to like paint you a priority list in terms of like what's bullish the corn market. I would certainly put the Brazilian situation above the U.S. weather situation um, at this point in time. I mean, you're you're without a doubt trimming yield in Brazil, whereas in the United States, it's far too early to say that anything like that's happening. Mm-hmm. Okay, another question. Um, uh, in China, there's COVID craziness there again going on. Any impacts there on demand? You know, circling back to demand for a minute, anything there that's that you're watching or of concern? So these lockdowns in China and this zero COVID policy is 
is an absolute disaster for the Chinese economy. I mean, they they are destroying their economy with the zero COVID policy. I mean, they've got like huge, massive cities with tens of millions of people under complete and total lockdown where people haven't left their homes in a month or whatever. Um, it's going to be a bad deal for a lot of things. I mean, it could, it could ultimately hurt the U S economy. I mean, it could go back to hurt supply chains if they're not, you know, shipping product out of China again, and it could absolutely hurt, uh, consumption of, you know, like pork. And that could, uh, that could make its way into demand for things like soybeans and corn. So it's, it's not a good deal. And they're talking like, like keeping this, this whole zero COVID policy in place through at least the end of the year. So we've got another, uh, you know, seven, eight months of this. And, um, I don't know if, uh, <laughs> it's, not, it's not a positive. Uh, it hasn't seemed to, uh, make its way into prices yet. Maybe you look at like the hog market, which is just falling on at that year the last uh, week or so. Maybe, maybe that's part of it. Um, but some of the other markets, I don't know if it's had a big impact. I think it's had an impact on crude oil. You know, China is the biggest importer of, of crude oil globally. I think it's had an impact there. I think if it, if it were not for, uh, a zero COVID policy in China, crude would be 120 bucks and it's not, it's 105. Um, maybe it's weighing on the stock market a little bit, which has had a really bad start to the year also. So that's, uh, that's a bad deal. And I don't know that it's made its way into the grain markets yet, but it, it certainly could. It's, it's one of those, it's one of those wild card things where like China just stops buying soybeans, it stops buying corn because uh, they've gone overboard on the zero COVID thing. Uh, that's a problem, definitely. Probably a, a, a dumb question, but what is the deal? I mean, what, I don't know. I don't pay any attention to any media anymore, so maybe I'm completely out of the loop. But um, You shouldn't pay attention. It's, I, all, it's all fake. <laughs> I, I know, and I don't, so I don't watch any of that crap anymore. But it's, I mean, what's the, what is the reason for this? It's crazy. I don't get why total lockdown um is it a way worse is it killing a lot of people or what's going on i don't it, it's very tough to believe anything out of china first off because you remember they had a stretch of like months and months where they said that they had like no covid cases in china which is impossible to believe right mm-hmm. and now they've gone in, in the total opposite direction they're like covid's everywhere and we've got to lock down every big city I don't understand the logic of communist China. It's like, it's like a black hole of information. I mean, it's just difficult to believe what, what comes out of there. But I mean, you just gotta, you just, I I do think that the reporting, I mean, when it comes to like these total lockdowns, I think that's accurate uh, to to my knowledge. I have no reason to believe otherwise. Uh, Why China does what they do. I I don't have any idea. I don't know if there's any, I'm sure there is some rhyme or reason to it, but uh, it's, it's beyond my scope. Hmm. Interesting. Um, last question I got for you on corn and soybeans for, um, you know, 22 and I guess 23 for that matter. But, um, you know, we've talked about a lot of stuff here. The majority of things are pretty supportive for both corn, soybeans and wheat. Anything that, uh, that's got you concerned or, um, levels of sales that make you feel better or just, you know, generally things to wrap up here that farmers should be thinking about as they're either waiting to get in a planner or are in the planner? Um, I guess that, I mean, we know that there's a ton of profitability associated with current price levels, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I could, I wish I could put me and you could actually do this. I, I wish I could put um, like the average margin 
for like uh, say corn production on a chart, like historically and dated back like 30 years, because we'd probably be like pretty much off the charts in terms of like uh, return on investment and margins and that sort of thing. It's right? a good like idea. We could, we should do that. That's a good idea. Like to go back and do like 30 years of history and say, okay, here's where you're at on the historic spectrum in terms of corn profitability, say on a percentage basis or something along those lines. You know, uh, if, if I had that chart like in front of me, it would tell me that I could be like pretty aggressively hedged or sold or protected in some way, shape or form here. Right. Because this is, this is pretty rare stuff. But I'm not going to rule out the idea, and I don't have any real strong opinion one way or the other in terms of price direction right now, but I wouldn't rule out like sharply higher prices. If we run into a weather issue, I mean, everything I know about the, the, the prospective balance sheet and, and the balance of supply and demand, everything tells me that you could like easily be at, at new all-time highs by a fairly wide margin in these markets. But then you've got these, these risks. Like, What if the U.S. crop is huge, and what if... Chinese demand falls apart, and what if the stock market loses another twenty percent, and money managers just want to head for the exits? I mean, I think there's there's dollars worth of risk in both directions in both of those markets, and it's it's really uh, scary to me. Uh, fundamentally, it's it's impossible to know like what's an accurate price. So you know, on paper, USDA. The only thing we know right now for the U.S. is that. Uh, what USDA says, we're going to have a 1.4 billion bushel corn carry out at the end of the year, right? I mean, that's not something that screams $8 corn to me. I mean, that's not uh, a level of carry out or stock fees that would be associated with $8 corn, but that's where we're at because we're not trading old crop, we're trading all these uncertainties. So it's just a tremendously uncertain and, and scary time, uh, to me. And I know the prices are great, but there's so many, there's so many lingering effects from this. I mean, from everything from cash rents to inputs to, just messy stuff. I don't think you want to see corn go to nine or ten dollars. I really don't. Uh, I sure don't because um, that spells trouble for supply uh, for uh, inputs and everything again too. Because that's the other. Oh, you're already in trouble there. I mean, that's already ha- that, yeah. that ship's already sailed. But it'll just it'll just get worse. Right. Exactly. And and that's the issue for 23. Right. As we as we look at 23. You know, putting a few little sales on there sure looks like it makes sense. I've never seen where you could look out two years other than in 2012 and make some sales that probably were going to basically guarantee you a profit. Um, But you do have that little um, thing on your shoulder telling you, hey, be careful because this thing could get crazy if we have a short crop. Yeah, and and this is like almost like mirrors a conversation that me and you probably had like about this time last year, last summer. And last summer, I probably told you, well, it's not really the the twenty one crop that worries me; it's more the twenty two. <laughs> right. Now I'm in a situation where ah, it's not really twenty two that worries me; it's twenty three uh-huh. because twenty two, you know, you you've probably got some profitable sales on the books. You probably got more to sell. Um, you know your crop insurance situation. Twenty three, yep. eh, you don't really know much of anything right now so uh that's i've kind of like almost shifted my my focus in regard to like what i'm concerned about uh in in terms of risk like where is where is there a phenomenal amount of risk where you could actually like lose money farming it would be in 23 not in 22 22 Mm -hmm. is just a matter of how much money you're gonna make yeah yeah for sure this will be a good year so hey i think that's a good place to wrap up joe um if people want to um check your stuff out again um rattle that off if you would uh, just 
check out either the YouTube uh, channel, and I do a new YouTube video and a new podcast episode every single business day. They're up by like 6.30 a.m. Central. Uh, it's called Grain Markets and Other Stuff. And uh, I talk about the markets, and I've got visuals on YouTube every single day. And then that premium subscription deal that uh, you mentioned where there's you get the subscriber-only videos, you get the, uh, the morning emails. It's a ton of info for me. It's 50 bucks a month. You can go to standardgrain.com and sign up for it. You can cancel it at any time. Nobody will try to sell you anything else. I'm a one-man business. I sell this uh, information service and had a really great response to it. So I'll give that deal a shot. Definitely do that. Um, I'm a subscriber, and Joe, you do a great job with it. And uh, also really appreciate your time today. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Chris. You bet. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great week. Good luck, and be safe out there uh, when you can get the planters rolling. And we will catch you again next time on the Ag View Pitch. Mm-hmm.